Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you. Today we have a special guest. Before we do that, I want to ask you to please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can learn more at johnwarrenmedia.com. Our guest today is a special guest, Russell Berger. Many of you know him and his family's story from the American Gospel Films. He's co-host of Defend and Confirm podcast and a member of the American Gospel TV Advisory Board. He previously served as a pastor of Sixth Avenue Community Church in Decatur, Alabama, but now he's a full-time caregiver for his wife, Catherine, who is terminally ill. He and his wife are now members of West Lawn Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama, and they have two children. There are a number of words I could use to describe Russell and his background. He has an MDiv. Uh, he's a former Army Ranger. He's an athlete, an author, a theologian, a teacher, a podcaster, and most importantly, a Christ follower. So, Russell, it is such an honor to have you here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad to know that I'm a special guest. <laughs> you are. You are among the most special. Now, I have had, <laughs> I've had, I have had some young students on here, some of my own students, and they, okay. they, they too are special. But, <laughs> but I, I want to, and, and this feels strange for me because I, I think most of this audience knows, uh, it has seen at least one of, and perhaps both of, the American Gospel films. Mm-hmm. They are. Christ alone and Christ crucified, and right. your family's featured there, and that had to that had to be a vulnerable time for you. But I, I will tell you that I made contact with either you or Catherine via some back channel on social media, and back then, and when when the first one was released, and I couldn't believe how gracious uh, you you both were in both telling your story and even in your communication. So. I know that the two of you care about advancing God's kingdom, and I've since been able to spend some time on your uh, podcast, listening to your podcast episodes, Defend and Confirm, Mm -hmm. and those have also been a a real blessing. But would you just go back and talk about your story? Because your life is—you've done an awful lot of things. I think my my life has a diverse kind of a feel to it with lots of different challenges and lots of victories and lots of defeats, and I can see God's hand from the beginning through this day, but I'm wondering if you just take a few minutes and talk about who you are and talk about your family for a minute. Sure. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I really should just give you a brief testimony. I was raised in a non-Christian home. Uh, my parents divorced when I was pretty young, around 11, and I ended up living in Atlanta with my dad and my stepmom, mostly because I was a pretty terrible kid and my mom couldn't handle me. So I was raised in, in Atlanta, got out of high school there and uh, joined the military. I spent four years uh, serving there, did a, a number of combat tours with uh, 1st Ranger Battalion, which is a special operations group based out of Savannah, Georgia. And around that time, I met my wife, Catherine, uh, who was in Huntsville, Alabama, where my mom still lived. 
And we got married when I was uh, kind of near the end of my service. And when we got out, we moved back to Huntsville, where our, our family was. That was a, a hard time for us as non-Christians. You know, we were both non-Christians, and we were consumed by worldly things. And mm-hmm. I was, my biggest idol at the time was my work. I uh, got a job working for a company called CrossFit, pretty big company. You've, you've probably heard of it. If you haven't heard of it, it's, Indeed. you know, kind of, it affiliates thousands of gyms around, around the United States. And I worked for the main company and I worked constantly to try and advance and, and neglected my family in the process. And was really just kind of building my own kingdom. And the Lord and his grace convicted me deeply of, of the sin in my life that that was leading to. And I, I kind of an interesting conversion story. I, I didn't have a, a local healthy church that I was a part of. I just started reading the Bible. And mm-hmm. so I read the Bible uh, every night with, you know, just a headlamp on in the dark while I was putting my son to sleep. He was a baby at the time. And through reading the word, I came to believe well, this is true. You know, I, I hear God's voice here. This is unmistakably clear and true. And so there's a while there where I just thought that's what it meant to be a Christian. You just believe this stuff is true. Right. Yeah, at some point later, I realized, oh, I actually have to live differently in light of this. And I started to be more deeply convicted of sin in my life that I wasn't even aware of originally. Things I didn't know were sins or I didn't have any guilt or shame about, I suddenly started to wrestle with these things and wanted to change. And so the Lord, over the course of a year or two, at some point in there, I was saved. And uh, he led us through my work to, to live out on the West Coast for a while. And we even there, didn't really find a healthy church. You know, we made a classic mistake of choosing the church that was closest to our house instead of the church that was closest to the Bible. And so we ended up uh, in an Episcopal church. Mm. And we didn't know the difference. We didn't know what, what these different denominations meant. We just, we just knew the Bible was true. And, and my wife was, by God's grace, saved at around the same time as me. And uh, it didn't take us long in the Episcopal church to realize that, that they were you know, not teaching the inerrancy of scripture. They had uh, gone astray from the gospel. And, and I, I had an experience sitting in a Bible study with some Episcopalian members of this church and, and the pastor there and basically realized they were trying to make me an atheist again. And mm. so we left and ended up bouncing around. And, and eventually I landed back in Huntsville as my wife started to have some health problems that, that were new for her. And we continued to, to live you know, lived there and, and found our way into a healthy discipleship relationship with a, a brother named Sean DeMars, uh, who uh, went on to be my pastor and is now the co-host with me on our podcast, Defend and Confirm podcast. And uh, he helped me to find a healthy church. He, he kind of led me eventually to join the church that he was going to pastor in, in our area. And our family joined and continued to, to grow in our, our knowledge and uh, the, the depth and breadth of our faith and repentance, and, and the Lord was kind to us in that way. And, and at the same time, my wife was growing sicker. She's having more and more health problems. It became clear she had some sort of rare disease and ended up at the Mayo Clinic and, and a number of other places. And you know, long story short, I basically got fired in 2018 from CrossFit for posting a, a comment on my personal Twitter account, personal social media Basically, just saying in contrast to something that was going on in the CrossFit world that this was Pride Month. It was June of 2018, and 
Mm-hmm. I, I said, you know, pride is a sin. It's not something we want to encourage. And uh, the, the, kind of the LGBTQ mob came after me and demanded that I be fired and my company gave in. Thankfully, they fired me illegally. You know, there's no policy of the company that I'd broken. I hadn't done anything wrong. I was just sharing my personal religious views, which was not something that we'd ever been told not to do. And so I, I ended up working something out with a company uh, where I basically got severance and, and was able to just stay home and take care of Catherine for a while. And uh, from there, I went to, yeah, I was at that time a lay pastor at Sixth Avenue Church in Decatur, Alabama. And I ended up going to D.C. for about nine months to do a pastoral internship with Capitol Hill Baptist Church, which is right right in D.C., right by the Capitol building. Yep. was uh, discipled by a brother named Mark Dever, who's been an enormous blessing to our family and, and to the church in general. And uh, from there, I ended up back here you know, while we were up there. Catherine ended up in Georgetown Hospital where they started talking to us about doing a, a multi-organ transplant of her whole GI tract, which sounded to us like science fiction. We didn't even know that existed. Mm-hmm. And so we were getting the work up to do that. She was on on board. They, they said, you know, you need to start raising money. This is an expensive procedure. She could be in the hospital for six months. You're going to have to live here in D.C. for a year. And uh, before we did that, we just wanted to go home and, and have a break from hospitals. So we, we decided to take three months and go back to Huntsville to sell our house and kind of prepare ourselves for that. Uh, and the Lord had different plans. And that, in that period of time, they started testing her to see how well she would match an organ donor. And uh, it, it turns out it would be incredibly difficult for her particular body chemistry, for her antibodies, for them to match her. And, and that process lasted a while and she got sicker and they we're still kind of scratching their heads over what this disease was and decided that it would probably do the same thing to new organs too. And so she's at this point palliative care. There's there's really no cure, there's no treatment for her other than just keeping her comfortable and, and trying to keep her from getting infections and things. And you know, we're we're at this point, we don't think she has long left to live, but we also it's not like cancer where you have a, a timeline, you know, you mm-hmm. have six months. With her, it could be next week or it could be two years from now. We don't really know. And so we were just living in Huntsville close to family, so we have help. Uh, I'm her caretaker through most of the day, and so I, I can't work because of her needs. She's got a, a pretty pretty uh, heavy load of daily medical things that she needs help with. And, mm-hmm. and so we're members of a, a church here that, uh, by God's grace, a, a friend— from the internship I, I did in D.C., his brother-in-law came here to pastor a church and asked us to join and, and help out. And so we've uh, we've been members there for a few months, and, and we're here for uh, as long as the Lord has us here. I want to ask you, uh, I, I did not know whether you'd bring up the social media thing with CrossFit. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things I wouldn't want to talk about because uh, it's just an unpleasant period, although you see God's faithfulness mm-hmm. in all of those things. But yeah, I, I'm just wondering, you know, back then, and I say back then, it wasn't that long ago, but this canceling that goes on wasn't such a thing. But how did you, I know it had to be difficult to deal with, and I don't want to ask any stupid questions here, but <laughs> but, but, but how, it had to be devastating after you poured... I mean, I, I I know all about your story, and I know how much of your life you poured into that company. I think you were called, if I get this, I don't have it in my notes, but chief knowledge officer or something to that effect. And yeah, you you had, you had a big role there. And 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 one day, and then the next day, 
because of you being true to a biblical truth, a clear biblical truth, you're you're canceled. You're gone. You're yeah. You're not woke enough. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? Yeah. Uh, when it happened, you know, like you said, it wasn't a common thing back then. I was <laughs> I was one of the first. I get to stake I think, my claim I think there. So. Yeah. Yeah, and so. I, I guess it wasn't terribly surprising to me because I'd seen things like that happen similar to what happened to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect so much the the response of my company. And so while I knew that that was something that could happen to people who voiced their opinions in a way that was by our culture's standards blasphemous, I was used to working for a company that was very countercultural, mm-hmm. uh, very independent minded and would stand up for employees for, you know, things that they did in their personal space. And uh, it was it was disappointing more than it was anything else. It was disappointing to see my boss, who was the, the founder and CEO, right. uh, give in to that pressure when I was clearly not, you know, violating any company policies or doing anything wrong. And so I, I felt, uh, I guess the best word might be betrayed in, in a way. Uh, sure. Not that I felt uh, that they owed me any particular loyalty. Uh, it was just, it was sad. You know, these are people who I, I considered friends. And uh, and I know many of the people who are my friends in the company did not support what happened uh, and, and thought I, you know, had done nothing wrong and they right. should stick up for me. But through the entire thing, you know, the Lord was kind to me. He, he took a bad situation uh, and allowed my family to persevere through it. You know, I, I think... One of the first things that happened was I, I told my wife that day, you know, kind of what was going on. And she was <laughs> immediately thinking kind of the opposite of me that, oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> she, had, she had seen me uh, in this job for a decade yep. and knew that I wasn't enjoying it anymore, knew that I struggled with a lot of the aspects of the work. And she knew that as a lay pastor, I, I really got more enjoyment out of teaching God's word. And she had always thought that, you know, maybe someday there will be a way to, to do that. But it was a job that was too good to quit. Yeah, uh, exactly you know, tre- what you mean. We had tremendous medical bills and we had a great insurance plan with this company. And I was getting paid well to be able to take care of all that. And how can you walk away from that? And uh, well, the, the Lord gave us away. Now, we don't always and, uh, we don't always get to do this. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But we don't always get to do this in life. But when you look back on that, can you see it now? Can you see how God used that to to move you to next chapters and prepare you for other things along the way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as I said, it was a job that was too good to quit and I never would have. But being fired, it, it basically took that choice away from me. Uh, and it gave us because of the the way that I was I was fired and and the fact that it was you know essentially illegal and I ended up working something out with the company where I got severance I I had a cushion I had a way to take care of my family and, and pay yep. insurance costs and medical bills that I never would have had if I just resigned. At the same time, there's there's actually a pretty incredible irony to the story, which is that my boss and the CEO, the, the founder of the company, exactly one year later, I think maybe about 12 hours different. He said something on Twitter that enraged the woke mob and was forced to resign. Mm. And it's just, you know, I, I think in the Lord's providence, that's just, it's such a clear yep. irony. Uh, I mean, I think the Lord does have a sense of humor and I, I think we do get to see a little glimpse of that and, and his justice in, in the way he providentially works through things like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that with any sense of enjoyment for my old boss who, who did have right. a pretty embarrassing and, and difficult time. I actually still keep in touch with him, but I think it's just another 
glimpse of how the Lord uses the situations. It's, it was him, in my mind, affirming that I'm in control of this. And so we've been blessed to have freedom from that job, to have the opportunity for me to focus on my family better, care for them better, and, and to seek out other things I can do with my time. Mm. Well, you know, I want to ask you, uh, so, so that's, that's kind of a lifetime of pain and challenge and all of that. And then I, I want to tell you just quickly, uh, watching the American Gospel film, the first one, um, my wife and I, we, we really didn't know what to expect. We didn't actually know what it was about. Somebody had um, recommended it, uh, somebody we respect, and we're watching away. And uh, if I can't get through this next question, just take over for me, because it's such an emotional thing here, seeing your story, the story of your family, and you know the I don't know who produced that film exactly, but they... They did such a good job of you couldn't you couldn't quite tell you know the story sort of got pieced together along the way and then then you realize about halfway through wow these this is a couple this is a family and here's what they're going through and and we had we had to pause it and cry for a while because uh, it, it was it was a it, it's an a, it's an emotional story and yet the two of you do exactly what you just did you rest in God's faithfulness and I know you do it imperfectly just like all of us right. do it imperfectly and you probably aren't looking for a lot of praise here, but, but I want to just ask you to, and you probably get asked this question all the time that the challenges associated with this disease. And, and I, I believe your daughter might be impacted by it or by something similar. Can, can you, yeah. what, what's it like day after day after day, you're the caregiver and you sound to me like you're resting in God's faithfulness and you are, perhaps uniquely wired, God has equipped you, you know, made Russell Berger for such a time as this. And that that's just hard for the rest of us to grasp. And and I, I'm wondering, you know, we all have family members going through struggles and we all go through our own. Uh, I'm a stage three colon cancer survivor and had some of experienced some of the moments that you've experienced as a family. But mm-hmm. can can you just talk about God's faithfulness through Catherine's illness and all the ups and downs of the challenges that you've experienced? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think the main thing I'd want to stress um, is just that really the Lord deserves all of the credit for us being able to endure through everything that we've gone through. Mm-hmm. It, it is very easy to to look at our situation and think that we're praiseworthy for our faithfulness. And, and you know, I do appreciate the encouragement of that. And I, and I think there is an element to where we we really genuinely have to work for that. We have to trust the Lord, and we have to be faithful despite our circumstances, and that that does take effort from from our end. Right. But it's God's grace that gives us the ability to do that. I always think of, you know, when you're when you're on the outside looking at our family, I know most people probably think, well, I I don't know how they do that. Um, and, and for those who don't know us, I mean, we're doing. Uh, my wife has a, a central line. Um, to receive all of her medications and nutrition. So everything is through IV. It has to be done with perfect sterility so she doesn't get infections, which she struggles with almost monthly, sometimes weekly. She's she's had septic shock from infections four times in the last six months, and, and that's got about a about a 30% fatality rate. She's survived it every time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm daily giving her these medications, prepping her TPN, which is her nutrition that goes into her veins. And, and on top of that, our daughter, who spent a year in a wheelchair from this 
this similar neuroautoimmune condition, I was having to carry her around up flights of stairs and help her get places and help her learn to do new things. By God's grace, she's walking again. The, you know, the treatments that they tried on Catherine that maybe delayed the advancement of her disease. Uh, with Campbell, our daughter, they actually reversed it. She's been mm-hmm. able to walk. But but through that period, I mean, it was tremendously difficult. Uh, and when you look out at that from the outside, it makes sense to say, well, I don't know how I would be able to do that. And honestly, when I think back, I think, well, I don't know how I'd be able to do that. <laughs> That's um, exactly right. And it reminds me of it reminds me of a story from from Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if you're familiar with I her. Am, indeed. So it's if your listeners aren't, uh, Corey Ten Boom was uh, a Christian woman who spent years in a in one of the worst concentration camps in Nazi Germany, and lost a number of her family members to the persecution of the Nazis against Christians. And she tells a story about fearing her father dying and just being unable to imagine how she'd get through that. And her, her father says to her, Corey, when we, when we travel by train to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? And Corey thinks for a second, and she says, well, you give it to me just before we get on the train. And her father said, exactly. And, and our father in heaven knows exactly when we're going to need things too. So mm-hmm. don't get ahead of them. Mm-hmm. When the time comes that you need that ticket, he will give it to you. So when the time comes that you need the strength and courage to be faithful that you need, you look in your heart and he will provide that to you. So it's not something that we're always carrying around with us. It's not something that we're just innately gifted with. It's it's mm. something that the Lord gives in his timing uh, when you need it. And we've seen that over and over again, that he's carried us through things that we would have never imagined we'd be able to get through. And yet in that moment, we found that we were. And, and it's it's really all his grace. That is so well said. As much as I, in my my sin of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, wish that I could be omniscient sometimes, it's it's actually a, a, a really good thing for me that I'm not and, and that I'm able, <laughs> truly able, to trust the God of this universe. And yeah. that's, that's, that sounds so so simple, uh, juxtaposed with your, your story. I want to ask you one detailed question about your background. And then I want to, I want to switch to, to talking about uh, what we can do with respect to your family in this, this situation. The, the, uh, the question I want to ask you is when did you, you didn't mention in your background when you, when did you go to seminary and get your MDiv at what point in your story? Uh, well, I don't have an MDiv. So oh, okay. <laughs> that's a simple answer. You went to seminary I, I, though. I know that. Yeah, I went to, so I went to Bible college for my undergrad degree and I've been a a student at both Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta. I took some classes there. Yep. Uh, and then I shifted to Southern Seminary, where I took some classes online and found both experiences to be really rewarding and uh, enjoyed it. And, and at the same time, both experiences to be way too much for me to handle <laughs> with everything going on with my life. So, well, that's uh, what I would have thought. Being, Yes. Yeah. And, and, and to be quite honest, for any of your listeners who are interested in going into ministry, you know, seminary is, is unfortunately one of those things that, that evangelical churches, and I know this is essentially true of Presbyterian churches, but Baptist churches as well, they, they overvalue what seminary is. You're very right. Um, and the idea that you're going to go learn from a professor how to shepherd a congregation is just, it's just not true. There are plenty of, of very, very well-educated, very sharp brothers who I know who 
been to seminary who are who are just not qualified to teach and who are not capable of shepherding as as God calls shepherds to shepherd. Exactly. Um, they'd be great teachers. And so while there is immense value in that kind of education, um, I, I think churches would do better to look for brothers who are uh, biblically faithful and have learned all they need to learn from from good books. You know, one of the one of the few things that I wish that I had that I know you can really only get at seminary would be the languages. You know, having a, a good grasp of Hebrew and Greek, I think, would be very valuable. But I agree. Um, I, I need something. A little, a, I need something a little sportier. A I need something a little stored, <laughs> sportier than Blue Letter Bible for looking up uh, Greek and Hebrew <laughs> words, although it's helpful. Yes. Yeah. What, but I'm getting us off track. I'm, I'm on my no, soapbox. No, you're good. Higher education. I, I, I want to. <laughs> no, you're right. I, I, I actually agree with that. I've seen. Uh, I'm. I'm in uh, the Orlando area, as you know, and I'm. I'm around a lot of RTS uh, students and graduates, and I, I respect that school. I'm sure you do too, and I respect mm-hmm. Southern and some others. And there, there's some good work that goes on there. But I do see exactly what you're talking about. I see people who show up thinking. This is going to impart pastoral gifts to me, and, right? Right. And and you know, Paul Paul makes that pretty clear that that's not how that works, right? So, I want to just shift to uh, talking about the typical Christian who hears mm-hmm. this podcast and your family's story. They're going to want to know what they can do to help, and obviously, we should pray. And there are many things I can think of to pray for, but. You're, you're so wise in these things, Russell, and your perspective is so helpful, even during our time together here. Help us, if you would, know what to pray for specifically for your family. You know, when I get that question, people generally think I'm going to respond with, with healing, physical healing, which, of course, we pray for ourselves, and we, right. uh, we, we appreciate when people do pray for my wife to be physically healed. We've been praying that for... 12 years now, 15 years. And for whatever reason, the Lord has not completely healed her. He has carried her through so many things that should have killed her at this point that we would consider all of those miraculous healings. In November, just the most recent example, she went in for a major surgery and within a few hours after the surgery, her stomach spontaneously perforated. And they didn't know that, but that's that has a 10% survival rate. And she pulled through it. And, and so we see that as, as just evidence of God's healing in her and, and sustaining her for whatever purpose he has. He's kept her on this, this earth longer. And so we do pray for healing, but we're also content in the knowledge that, that God doesn't seem to desire her to be completely healed, or at least not yet. And so more important in our minds is, is that we just have prayer that, that we'd be faithful, you know, that in, in her suffering and in all that we're going through, we would just continue to trust him and shepherd our children well. Uh, that they wouldn't be anxious, but they would they would see this as something to praise God for ultimately. And I know that's that's hard for them, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's hard for us to understand when we're experiencing it. So we would just ask for prayer uh, for our family in that way. Mm. Well, and I would encourage the, our listeners to do that. I, I I also know that we can help you with the uh, financial implications of everything your family's experiencing, and I I hope it isn't awkward for me for you for me to mention this. There's a GoFundMe page. I believe it's called Catherine's Transplant Fund, and I believe yes. I, it is still active. It was just before we started this conversation. And yeah. uh, talk about the if, if you're comfortable doing so. Just uh, these are this this is really to take care of expenses that are tangential to this entire situation. And I know there are many. There's travel to DC and and uh, all all the yeah. re- related things. Yeah, we um. 
you know, we, we spent a long time just never asking for help uh, financially through this. And it, that was very difficult at times. When Catherine was moving forward with the transplant, we met with a social worker at the hospital who said, you know, I encourage you to start a fundraiser because that is the way most of our patients are able to cover the costs of this procedure, even with good insurance. You know, it's, it's incredibly expensive. You know, one, one of the organs she was looking at getting is a, is a million dollar surgery. Mm. And that's just, you know, just one. So we, we started that. And then, you know, later we found out she wasn't going to be able to have that surgery. Um, so it's, it's ironically still named Catherine's transplant fund, though she's at this point not a candidate for transplant. But in some ways we, we need that, we need that income more now because that puts us in a situation where I'm, you know, indefinitely unable to work. Her medical bills are, continuing and are, are pretty high. You know, she, uh, We joke, this may seem morbid to your listeners, but her doctor <laughs> is on a board who does uh, a lot of uh, logistics and, and policy making for Alabama Medicare. And, and he was in this meeting kind of overseeing this stuff and, and looked at a list of the, the top the top spenders for Medicare in the state. And Catherine is right at the top. And he said, that's my patient. Oh my uh, so I jokingly got her a tank top uh, that says first place uh, for uh. her to wear. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's one of the, just, just one of the measures for us as to how much we're using these resources that the people are so kindly giving us is that we, I don't know what we would do without it. And you know, we have people who have, who don't even know us, who've just heard of her story and who've sent us uh, money that we're, we're using for everything from, from medical bills to uh, home nursing to mm -hmm. caregivers to just putting food on our table. We're trying to be wise and, and careful with that because we don't know how long this will last. Uh, and in, until then, uh, my job is to take care of them. And yeah. so we, uh, we do appreciate everything that we receive from that greatly. And we've been overwhelmed by how supportive people have been, like I said, people who don't even know us. Well, I want to encourage our listeners to go to GoFundMe and find Catherine's Transplant Fund. That is the precise name of this particular page and give generously. My wife and I have participated in important causes where we've given uh, sacrificially over the years. And, and uh, I, I would just encourage all of the uh, listeners of Relentless Truth to go and and do that and support this family. I can say it uh, maybe a little more strongly than than uh, you would have. But I want to ask you just a quick bonus question related to, and, and finally, related to your podcast. I am fascinated by all the ground you cover, you and Sean cover. That is meaningful work. And I think we ought to give to your GoFundMe page to have you able to continue that very valuable work. There's something about the perspective that the two of you share, and I'm sure you, I'm sure you plan this in advance, but there's such a good synergy and a good focus on truth. I'm wondering if you could just talk about just generally, and you really get in the weeds. And I like that the way, the way you do that with, with the truth of the state of the church in America, you talk about revivalism, church planning movements, you call them broadly multiplying movements and, and mm -hmm. you, you discuss this in a series just beautifully. So I'd encourage our listeners to go there as well. But I'm, I'm wondering if you could just close us out with just a quick overview of what that series is all about. Yeah, well, um, before I do, just if your listeners are interested in watching for themselves, I'd, I'd recommend they go over to American Gospel TV. 
Uh, you can find it at watchagtv.com. It's a streaming service, kind of similar to Netflix, uh, where you, you can subscribe to American Gospel and you can have access to, to both American Gospel films as well as the upcoming third film. A lot of other content uh, that's, that's similar, theologically sound content, and including our podcast. So we have a video element to our podcast uh, because American Gospel's producers uh, liked what we were doing and thought it was valuable and basically donated one of their guys' time to come film for us and to edit our, our podcast. So mm. you know, they've, they've done that for free just because they support our work and believe in what we're doing. Uh, it's a great thing to, to go. I mean, if you go watch them on AGTV, watchagtv.com, uh, you'll be supporting the people who support us, which is huge for keeping this thing going. But Good. yes, most recently we've been We've been talking about, like you said, what we broadly call multiplying movements. You know, our, our hearts, particularly, you know, Sean and I coming from backgrounds where we were in unhealthy churches is to help evangelical Christians recapture what the Bible teaches about polity. Well, it's a word you don't hear a lot these days, but, but polity, it's related to the word politic. It, it, it relates to how we order and structure and govern the church. Mm-hmm. What does a church look like? How do you define a church? What is membership? Uh, how are we to appoint pastors and, and handle issues of discipline within the church? All things that, that Jesus commands and the New Testament teaches. Uh, and there's a trend in, in the West in particular in the last 50 years, really, to, to abandon what the Bible teaches about how a church should be and to just kind of go with whatever works. It's this naked pragmatism that says if it'll get more people in the door— and we'll get more people in seats in this room. Let's just do that. And of course, you know, that's, that's the opposite of what we want if we believe the New Testament teaches us how to structure and organize and function as God's people. Exactly. And so that, you know, we're, we're seeking faithfulness in that. And so much of what we teach is on, you know, what's the wrong way to view a church and what is the, the right way to view a church. And, and one of those wrong ways that's, that's eminently popular right now is, is this idea of, church planting movements or disciple making movements, which has a history that stretches back to the revivalism of the late 1800s. This change in the air in, in, in America where we, we started trying to reverse engineer the work of the Holy Spirit, where we started trying to get mm-hmm. people to make these impulsive outward decisions that, that really didn't reflect any inward spiritual change. We have the, the legacy of that is seen in the emotional manipulation of altar calls, uh, it's seen in the, the church growth movement and the seeker-sensitive sort of attractional model of church where you just have a the church becomes a, a building or a performance, and mm-hmm. the idea is to entertain people and get a big crowd and then hope some of them walk away saved. And, uh, and the, mes- the rec- message is sometimes—I'm sorry to interrupt, but the message is sometimes, oh, yeah. as I heard—I listened to several of these podcast episodes on this topic, and, and as I heard you say these things, I thought about this concept. It almost leaves— members of the church feeling like Christianity is kind of a checklist sort of a, a way of living and yeah. it kind of a, even going back to Romans 12 that I was taught, I was in probably a similar environment to you at one point where I would call it a, a kind of a mile wide and an inch deep in terms of theology. And I, and I was taught that uh, in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to this world kind of said, if the world zigs, you zag, and we check these these boxes, and this is what a Christian does, when in fact, what Scripture teaches, what the beauty of the gospel teaches us, is there's something much more transformational going on. Yes. 
Yeah, and so the, the premise that, you know, if you want to be successful as a church, you need to do what worldly people want, and that's what's going to draw them in. You can yep. make it as easy as possible for them to become comfortable with Christianity and with the gospel. Because after so all, really you, the, you care about them, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, their, their motives and intentions are, are probably good, mm-hmm. and yet what they're, what they're doing is, is actually working in the complete opposite way to what the New Testament teaches, which is that there is a cost to following Christ, and we will always look foolish in the eyes of the world, as as First Corinthians chapter one says, that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. Mm-hmm. And trying to make the gospel look less foolish, Paul says that's that's stripping it of its power. And Amen. so we want to return to biblical faithfulness, and and you know the more modern iteration of this pragmatism looks at the seeker-sensitive, attractional church and, and says, yeah, that worked in the, in the 80s and 90s, but now that's, my, that's the way my grandparents do church now. You know, people realized how shallow those performance-based churches are. Right. Um, and when I mean performance, I mean a rock band with you know, smoke machines and entertainment, treating it sort of like a, a concert venue with a, a TED Talk at the end. Yep. They, they see the shallowness in that. They see the nominalism that that creates. And so they're they're rejecting, I think foolishly, rejecting church itself. They're saying, you know, this idea that we need a pastor and a, a place to gather, a, a regular gathering, that we need to, you know, do these do these things that really are basic to what a church is. Uh, they're throwing that out, and they're and they're doing this rapid multiplication small group kind of thing, which we go into detail about what that looks like and what their thought process is. And again, I think their intentions are good. They're, they're in some sense re- rightly rejecting some things that are wrong in the Western church. Right. But at the same time, they're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and they're rejecting things that are biblically prescribed because they're not seeing what the real error was, which is trying to make the gospel conform to the culture that we live in. And so we're, we're unpacking all that and kind of trying to get into the weeds of it to help people understand it better. Well, Russell, I thank you for that. And I know that, uh, well, I would just encourage the listener to go to defend and confirm or watch agtv.com to really immerse in, in these valuable episodes with uh, this valuable information that was just scratching the surface. It's an unfair question when we just have a few (laughs) minutes left, but I really can't thank you enough for being here. We're going to pray for your family. Our prayer is, is for healing, but, but specifically for God to be continue to be faithful to your family and to meet your needs. And we want to be a part of that. So I would encourage everyone again to go to GoFundMe and uh, look for Catherine's transplant fund. Russell, thank you again. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. All right. If you will, please uh, like, review, and otherwise uh, subscribe to The Relentless Truth. And also, please go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information. Again, thanks to our guest, our very special guest, Russell Berger, and blessings to uh, Catherine and your family. Thank you again, and uh, until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at johnwarrenmedia.com.
on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.